Thank you, Lord. Thank you for uh, allowing us to, to be here together once again. Uh, it's cold and rainy outside, but it's warm in here, and, and we got food waiting, so um, we're thankful for, uh, for all that you have provided. And uh, we just pray that you will open our hearts today to hear from your word and to draw from it the life that you have given. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Life is a wonderful thing. Amen. Life, life is amazing. I don't know if you ever stop to just contemplate for a moment the, the wonder that life is. And it's all, it's all around us. It exists in, in so many diverse forms that are just seemingly endless. And we, even still today, can find new things that we didn't know existed before. God's creation is just so amazing and astounding. I was, I was just looking through everything from, from the, the blue whale, which is the largest animal, not just now, but the largest animal that has ever been, that we've ever been able to find. This thing can be over 90 feet long. It weighs, uh, that's about a third of a football field, to kind of give you some perspective on how big that is. It's around 300,000 pounds. 150 times. That would be the weight of two Boeing 787s together. Wow. And you've got that, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got life that's so small that you have to have special equipment, microscopes and stuff to even be able to see it. God's creation is amazing. And the, the, the plant life is, is, is just as varied, if, if not more. It is amazing to me. Even the unbeliever will look at this and, and be amazed. And yet somehow imagine that it all just happened. It all just happened by chance. And I listen, I, I like to listen to nature shows, watch the, the nature shows, because I'm always so astounded by the the variety and, and the creativity uh, in nature. And I'll listen to these commentators as they say how evolution did that or evolution did that, as if evolution itself were intelligent, as if evolution itself were somehow godlike. No, but there is a God. There is a creator, and he did all of that. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's much easier to believe than, that, well, that just happened. Mm -hmm. All of it points to a designer. I, I, I use the example in, in the book. If you if you walk around in the forest and you find somebody's cell phone on the ground, well, your first thought is, "Wow, that grew there! Isn't that amazing?" No, no, you you know that. Somebody made that thing in a factory, and somebody else sold that to, to somebody, and then some poor soul lost it, and they're very unhappy. 
and yet we look at the nature that's all around that, the nature that is your own uh, self walking around and finding it, and think and, and say something like, well, that just happened. No, 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 it didn't just happen. No, sir. You have a creator who loves you and who gave you life. Amen. And we almost take it for granted, but we sure notice when it's not there. That's right. And it's disturbing to us when, when life is not there when it should be. We're, we're upset when something dies because we understand that death is not the way things should be. And the more so if it's something or someone that we love, it grieves us because it's not supposed to be. Right. We want life around us. We talk about something being sterile. The only place the only place that sterility is a good thing is in a hospital. And the reason why we want to sterile there is because we're trying to preserve life. We don't want any unwelcome life to be in the picture, creating problems. It's because it's because we value life that we want it that way. And we need people around us. God made us that way. And we usually do not speak of something dead in good terms. It's not a happy subject for us. But life then also becomes a, a, a metaphor for even deeper things. To be full of life is to be, to be active, to be exuberant, to be happy, to be upbeat. We're, we're drawn to people who are like that. If we say something is lifeless, we're, we're saying that it's, that it's dull, that it's uninteresting, that it's apathetic. If we speak of it in terms of people that are apathetic, uninterested in anything. And we recognize life as that which animates, that which brings joy, that which brings purpose. And life is precious. And life that seems contrary to this is not valued, is considered poor quality. That's a whole other subject we'll have to get into. But what about spiritual life? What does Jesus mean when he speaks about life? It refers to a life that is deeper than the animation of the physical body. A life that comes from a mysterious place that we can't even really completely define. It's why psychology so often fails, because it, it fails to recognize that there's something beyond the chemistry. Life that outlasts this poor vessel that contains it. Life that can be given only by the author of life. Life that has come to us as believers through his death and his living again. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of John chapter 5. And to kind of bring us up to date as far as context, although I think everybody's been here through this. Jesus is continuing 
this this monologue that he is he's presenting after he has healed the man at Bethesda. The Jews are angry, Jewish leaders in particular are angry because he did this thing on the Sabbath day. Broke their silly rules. But not only did he do that, he claimed the father was his, his own father, claimed that he was doing these things uh, on the direction of the father, which they clearly understood him to be making himself equal with God. So now Jesus is going to expand on these themes that he's established in the verses that we read last week, 19 through 24 in particular. He's doing what the Father does. The Father loves me, he says. And he showed him, shows him everything that, that, uh, that he's doing. And Jesus is doing that. And then he says, if I can add, throw a little Texan in here, you ain't seen nothing yet. Mm -hmm. Judgment, he said, has been given to the Son, and he will decide between life and death. And if we want to honor the Father, then we must honor the Son. Mm -hmm. And so now he's, we're going to explore this a little bit further. His role is to judge his oneness with the Father. And... I've got here on the, on the screen 25 to 30, but I'm going to read 24 to kind of uh, make the transition. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does my word, he who hears my word, rather, and believes him who sent me, he has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the time is coming, and even now has arrived, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own. What I hear, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says, the time has come. He says, the time is coming and now is. In other words, the time has come. It's already here. It arrived with Jesus' advent on the earth. And he is now speaking the words of life. 
The dead here are those who are spiritually dead. If we looked at, uh, at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Those who hear his words and believe them will live. In this context, we're talking about spiritual ears. We're talking about more than just hearing something. We're talking about hearing it and heeding it. In five different play, in five different occasions, uh, at least that I identified, there might be more. Uh, Jesus made this statement: "Who has ears to hear? Let him hear." He's saying more there than, "Okay, you heard what I said." He's saying you took it in, you believed it, you heeded it, you did something with it, you heard it, and you heeded it. And we only need to look at what James said in, in chapter 1, verse 22 of his epistle, where he said, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Jesus brought us the words of life, and he brought us life from the Father. And so again, you have this claim uh, where, where Jesus is taking on qualities to himself that would have been considered only those belonging to the Father. And he can do that because he is, in fact, the great I Am. He says, the same kind of life as the Father has given me. The same kind of life the Father has, he has given me. A life that cannot be destroyed. And yet the man Jesus is going to die. But he says in another place, nobody takes it from me, I lay it down on my own accord. But a life that is everlasting, that is infinite. A life that by its nature creates life. Back in chapter 1, uh, John said uh, basically that in, in, uh, in uh, 1 verse 3, verse 316, he said it again, verse 414, he said it again, 521 that we just read, he said it again. And he also says the Lord has given me, the Father has given me the ability, the authority rather, to judge. And he calls himself here the Son of Man. Now the Jews would have understood exactly what he meant when he, when he used that terminology. When he says he is the Son of Man, of course he's talking about himself in the third person there. But he's, he's laying claim to Father's authority. And the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel 7.13 uh, wherein uh, it is written and Daniel is writing this. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was, was come, was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days 
and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of which language might, uh, men of every language, I should say, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So for Jesus to take on this title, there's no question what he said. And he uses that term often uh, in reference to himself. So he, he, he's making... He's making a very obvious claim, which is why the Jews, when they when they decided to finally take him out, they had they already knew who he was claiming to be. They just needed him to say it, and so they finally, you know, Jesus finally agrees to say it because he has the plan, and the plan involves, of course, his 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 crucifixion. Don't think that Jesus was ever out of control during this whole process. He orchestrated it from beginning to end. Because he had a plan, and he knew what the redemption would cost. And yet, amazingly, he did it anyway. For people like you, and for people like me. Amen. So by taking this title, Jesus makes his message clear. And he's gone now from the time is coming, or the time has come, to the time is coming in verse 28. And Again, a reference there that that language is very similar to what's also in the book of Daniel in chapter 12. And for the sake of time, we won't go and read that, but the, the language is very similar. Everybody gets a resurrection. The thing is, what happens next? Everybody will stand before the Lord. And you know what? It, it, it kind of strikes us funny, those of us who've been raised with theology and understanding is that salvation is by grace, why then would it say that evil, you know, those who did the evil deeds and those who did the good deeds, I thought salvation wasn't by works. Well, here's the deal. We've all done evil deeds. Every single last one of us. The difference is when you take Jesus as your Lord, He becomes your Savior, and all those evil deeds get forgotten. And all you have left is the good deeds. Now, having said that, it's also true, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. The output of your life will declare who you really serve. That's not to say that somebody who's truly trying to serve the Lord is not going to slip up and make a mistake once in a while. But what you practice, the overall output of your life is going to say whose you are. We all deserve the judgment for the evil that Jesus took the punishment. Amen. Jesus then again makes the statement that we saw back in an earlier verse that I don't do anything of my own I do it I, I do what the Father uh, shows me to do he makes that odd statement again I can do nothing on my own 
initiative. This is the, uh, just, as, just as he said back in, uh, where, where is it? There it is, 19. Verse 19, but now he's saying it in the, in the uh, first person. Jesus operated as he was here in complete subjection to the Father as the Son. He operated as a human being. Yes, he was still God every bit. He, he himself said that. He said, I am. There's no question about that. But while he was here, he operated as a human being. Now that should encourage you. Then, ah, obviously, we're not going to be able to live a perfect life. But he's saying, by his very life, this is what's possible. If you will if you'll be in tune with the Father, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, if you'll walk with the Spirit in the way that I walk with the Spirit, these are the things that are possible in your life. Take courage from that and model what He showed us. His words are the Father's words. His judgments are the Father's judgments. He heard and He heeded, and so should we. He says, my judgment is just. And why is my judgment just? Because I don't seek my own will, but that of the Father. Now, you know, that being, that being Jesus, that might be a hard statement to digest because we're, we're, we're taught and properly taught that Jesus and Father are one. He said it himself, I and the Father are one. Would, would his will be any different than uh, than the Father's will? Well, presumably not. But he did have a human will. He did have flesh just like us. We find him in the garden praying, Lord, please take this away from me. But even there, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. His, ju his judgment is righteous because it comes from the Father and because it's not born out of his own whim, out of his own self-will, but totally submitted to the Father. So I always, we always like to step back from, from the study and understand all this study is great, but how do we do with it? How do we apply it in our lives? Well, the first thing I would say is that the time is now. It began, yes, with the advent of Christ on the earth. He lived here to show us how we should live. He died here to show us how we should die to ourselves. And He rose again to seal our victory. It was sealed by his death and his resurrection. And so that the dead can now hear the voice and live. And so we receive him as Lord of our lives and we then proclaim him as Lord and obey him as Lord. Because the time has come. All of us are going, the time will come, I should say. Time has come, the time will come when all of us will stand before Him 
every one of us deserving of damnation, but he died that we might have life instead. The difference only in that single choice that you made. Yes, he chose us from the beginning of time. Not arguing that. But because he is an infinite almighty God, because he knows from the beginning from the end, because, yes, that means that he knew from the time that you were conceived what your end would be and which way you would choose. And by that nature, by that fact, yes, you're predestined. But you still got to make that choice. We must still choose him. And thus, we're cleansed from those evil deeds. And thus, we are admitted into his presence, into his family. And thirdly, we learn from him. Jesus never acted outside of the will of his Father. Obviously, we're not going to be quite that good. Yeah. But that's our objective. Never to operate outside of the will of the Father. We too must seek His will in everything that we do. Jesus is our example to follow. And He is our Lord. And because He is our Lord, and because we claim Him as Lord, because we speak His name, and because we call ourselves Christians, that is the people of Christ, the people of Jesus, we represent Him here on the earth. We act in His name. The name that He has given us and the authority that goes with it. So, oh Jesus, oh Heavenly Father, let us bring glory to your name. As a people, as a church. Because we're needed in this hour. If there is to be, I'm going off script and I know everybody's hungry. But if there is to be a revival, I know I've said this before, but if there's to be a change, if we're to stop the course that we're on here in this country and in this world, if it may be that we've come to the, to the time when, uh, when Jesus' return is imminent, but our mission hasn't changed in any case, and if there's any hope to, to, uh, to delay the inevitable or to... to and why would we want to do that? We want Him to come back. But what else do we want? The same thing he wants. We want as many people as will come to come with us on that day when we join him. So let's be about his business. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us life, that you are the source of life. Oh, Lord, let us not only partake of that life, but share it. That, that all may, may have that same life. That no one that we know, no one that we come in contact with, will not have at least had the opportunity to choose life. Thank you, Lord, 
for that which you've given us, for the blessings that we have around us now, and for that which is to come. We await that day eagerly when we will see your face and death will be abolished forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.